0: have your Bible this morning? Good. If you do, turn to Romans chapter 4. If you don't, I really want to encourage you to grab one from the pew rack right in front of you so that you can follow along and and so that you can engage God's word uh, right in front of you. What a gift that is, right, to to be able to have God's word in our possession, to be able to to open it up and hear God speak. He has breathed these words for us and uh, we see him every step of the way. Romans chapter 4 is where you need to go. We've been studying in Romans for quite some time now. Last week, in the text in Romans chapter 4, the key word was promise. Paul is continuing to argue that justification is by faith alone. He took some time last week to contrast the law, which is ultimately hopeless because of our sinfulness. If our hope was in keeping the law, we would not have any hope because we do not keep the law. We cannot keep the law. We will not keep the law. But rather than justify us and save us by the law and by our works of righteousness, God has chosen to save us by a promise that he has made, which is received by faith. And this was the contrast last week, the difference between law and the promise. We talked last week about how all who are saved are saved by grace, by God's promise, a promise that is accepted in faith, and there is no other way. We talked about this word all and how hopeful that is. That if men were saved by keeping the law, no one would have hope. But because men are saved by God's grace, by his promise, then every man has hope, right? There's no one who is so far gone that they cannot believe and trust in Jesus and repent of their sins and be saved. There is hope for every man through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ, right? Who has the power to raise the dead? We sang a minute ago. Jesus, only Jesus. He is our only hope. We talked also last week about assurance about this doctrine of justification by faith, bringing assurance that if our justification was based on our keeping the law, we would have no confidence, we would have no hope, we would have no encouragement because we are constantly breaking the law. Thank God our justification is based on his promise, and he is a promise keeper. He makes a promise and he keeps it. Unlike us, we make promises and we break them. He makes promises and he keeps them. And then we also talked about how this promise unites us. It brings us together as recipients of grace, as folks who come to the cross broken, needy, empty, and receive grace and forgiveness and salvation. It brings us together. This week in the text, Paul's going to take the next step in his argument about justification by faith alone. It's almost as if at this point in the letter he says, or, or he expects the listeners to say, okay, 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 we get it. Justification is by faith. We'll even give you that Abraham was justified by faith, not by works of the law. It's almost as if at this point in the letter, the people say, if justification is by faith alone, then you need to tell us what that faith looks like. You need to give us some more details about what kind of faith it is that saves. And Paul's going to do that. And he's going to use an example from the life of, guess who? Oh, seriously? You haven't been here for the last month? (laughs) Abraham. Right, We're still going to talk about Abraham. He's going to make this point using the life of Abraham. And he's going to talk to us about what faith looks like through the life of Abraham. So check it out in chapter 4, starting in verse... Let's start in verse 16. We're going to study 17 to 22 today, though, so that you have some context. It says, For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed... "...to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. As it is written, Father of many nations, have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, in hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which which had been spoken." so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, meeting with us already this morning, for teaching us about your power, your grace, your mercy, your love, your glory. Thank you for giving us your word to instruct us, to teach us about who you are, to teach us about who we are in light of who you are, to teach us about the gospel. God, I pray today that you will show us what faith looks like, what saving faith looks like. God, I believe that every person in this room has faith. But not all of them have faith in you. Some of them are trusting in themselves. Some of them are trusting in riches, Some of them are trusting in false gods. God, I pray that today you teach us the most important lesson, that the faith that saves is faith in you, the God who raises the dead, the God who calls into being that which does not exist. It's who you are, God. Show us who you are, that we might trust and depend and rest ourselves completely on you and not something that we have created. So grow us today and change us by your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going we're to start in verse 17 today. And I, and I think that the most important lesson of the day comes from verse 17. There are going to be several implications and applications of this uh, throughout the rest of the text. But really the heart of it is in verse 17 as Paul highlights the importance of the object of faith. You see, it seems like that's really all that matters, ultimately, is the object of faith. It's not so much about the sincerity of our faith that matters, it's about the object of our faith. I was reading one scholar, and he said, a lot of men have had strong faith in thin ice and not lived to tell about it. You catch that? There are a lot of people that have really sincere faith in something that is not worthy of faith, something that is not strong, something that is not trustworthy. You know that in a couple of weeks, um, four of us from First Baptist are going to travel to Central Asia and and meet with our friends who have moved there and minister to them and with them, and uh, we're going into a place where people have strong faith. Um, It is a Muslim culture. Uh, People believe strongly. I do not doubt the sincerity of their faith at all, but the object of their faith is flawed. The object of their faith is weak. The object of their faith is wrong. If you remember, a few months ago, we had a video from them, and and, uh, they asked their son on the video, do the people here believe in the one true God? Do you remember his answer? No. They believe in the false God. They believe. They believe. Maybe more than many of us in this room today believe in the true God. They believe in the false god it doesn't matter about the sincerity of our faith as much as it matters about the object of our faith and that's what paul is going to teach here that the object of abraham's faith was not himself it was not the world it was not his riches or his power the object of abraham's faith was god who raises the dead look at it in the text In verse 17, it says, as it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you. That's the promise that we talked about last week, right? Abraham, the old man who didn't have any descendants, who didn't have any children, (laughs) whose name was father of many, but he wasn't father of any, right? Abraham, this man, God says to him in this great promise, father of many nations, have I made you (laughs) in the past tense when he doesn't have any children yet. That's the promise. And then look at his faith. It says, in the presence of him whom he believed. All of this happened in God's presence. God is the one in whom he believes. And then it describes God this way. Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's huge. Who is this God that Abraham believes in and is justified? It is, number one, a God who raises the dead. We see this, right? When you read the Bible, you see this. God raises dead people, doesn't he? He does it in the physical, right? We read in the New Testament about Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, who dies. Jesus goes to the tomb. He's been dead four days, right? Four days, Lazarus has been dead. The King James Version says, when they rolled the stone away, he stinketh much. He was really, really dead, good and dead. Jesus shows up and says what? Lazarus, come forth. And what happens? Lazarus is alive all of a sudden. He was really dead and he is brought back to life by the power of Jesus, right? We see it in the physical with Jairus' daughter. Jesus shows up on that scene. Everyone is distraught. This young girl has died. Jesus says, Get up, little girl. And what happens? She gets up. She gets up and she lives. We see that our God has the power to raise the dead in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus goes to the cross. Suffers the wrath of God for our sins in our place as our substitute, right? And he dies, really dies. In fact, the Roman soldiers made sure he was really dead. He wasn't swooning. He wasn't faking it, as many people believe. He was really dead. Remember, they shoved that spear into his side, and out came blood and water. The only time that happens is if someone is really dead. So they buried him because he was dead. Three days later, he's alive. He's alive. He is alive. That's different from the other two stories because those people died again. But Jesus lives. See, our God raises the dead physically. But, oh, so much more than that, he raises the dead spiritually, does he not? I've been raised from the dead. I heard a preacher one time at a college conference say the most profound thing. He said, you've got the most incredible story. Speaking to these believers, he said, you've got the most incredible story the world has ever heard. If you know Jesus Christ, your story goes like this. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And Jesus did that. This is an incredible thing, that I stand before you today as one who was dead and who is now alive because of God's grace. Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which... You formerly walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Abraham had faith in God who raises the dead. Have you been raised from the dead? Some of you have. Some of you have that story. Like if that happened physically in here today, if that happened physically in here today, if somebody died, like really was dead, somebody goes and gets the AED, is that what it's called? Put it on them, shock them. Somebody gives mouth to mouth, resuscitates them. They were dead and now they've been brought back to life. How many of you would tell that story this afternoon? I went to church church today. The craziest thing happened. Preacher just killed over. He's dead. His brother came up. (laughs) Brought him back to life. The most incredible thing happened today at church. I'm telling you, something more incredible than that happens all the time at church. Jason talked about it, prayed about it over and over. Because it's what we desire. We want to see God raise the dead. And we believe in a God who can raise the dead. So it says in this text that Abraham believed even God who gives life to the dead. And secondly, he says, God who calls into being that which does not exist. This is incredible, too. It speaks of his power. You see what we're doing here? We're laying out his power, that he is able to raise the dead. He is able to speak things into existence. You know how that, that's how the world was created, right? There was nothing. And God said, let there be something. And then there was Something. He didn't manufacture it with raw materials. He spoke into existence that which did not exist. Can you do that? I wish. I would have made this deck project that I did this summer a lot easier. Right? (laughs) Let there be a deck. And there was. And it was good. That would be great, right? But it doesn't work that way with us. We don't have that kind of power. But God does. God says, let there be light. And there is. God says, let there be water. And there is. Right? He speaks and he calls things into existence that did not exist at creation. But did you know that he continues to do that throughout Scripture? He continues to speak things into existence. He did that with Abraham. Notice the language of the promise in verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations, have I made you. I've made you a father of many nations, Abraham. What? None of them exist yet. But God spoke them into existence, did He not? He spoke, and things that did not exist came to be. And that's exactly what He did with Abraham's life. And I believe that's what He does with us at conversion. I believe that's what He does when He gives us new life. He speaks. And He doesn't just raise us from the dead, He makes us into something brand new, new creature. A new creature if you are in Christ. The old is gone. New has come. This is the God that Abraham believed in. He's not some pitiful, weak God who doesn't know what's going on or can't do anything about it. He is the God who raises the dead and speaks things into his existence. I think a lot of people, even in church, a lot of people have faith. They have trust. They believe. But they don't believe in that God. They believe in a little God who's pitiful, and pathetic, and can't do much of anything. The God of the Bible does whatever he wants and can do whatever he wants. And this is the God that Abraham believed in. God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. The question is not, do you have faith? The question is, what is your faith in? Who do you believe in? Who are you trusting in? I hope it is the God of the Bible who gives life to the dead. I want to spend some time, though, talking about that deadness, especially as it relates to justification by faith. What's a dead man bring to the table in this whole process? You know, we read about this valley of dry bones. What was going on in that valley of dry bones before God breathed, before God spoke, something started happening? What was going on in that valley of dry bones? Were they talking to each other and saying, We got this. It's looking good for us, guys. Everything's going to be okay. Nothing was happening. They were dead. In fact, Ezekiel goes to great lengths to say they were dead, they were bones. And not only were they bones, they were dried up bones. There wasn't any speck of life left in them. In justification, we don't bring something to the table. We We don't come to Jesus with some kind of spark, some kind of ember in us. We're dead, and he brings the fire. We are breathless and lifeless, and he brings the breath and life. Our God raises the dead. He doesn't help the hurting. He raises the dead. He doesn't bring assistance. He brings life. You with me? Look at verse 18. This is incredible. It says, in hope against hope, he believed. So that he might become the father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. In hope against hope. You remember the story of Abraham, right? We're going to talk about it more in a minute. He didn't have any grounds for hope, did he? In this promise. He didn't, he didn't look at himself and say, yeah, that's, that could happen. Father of many nations, look at me. He didn't look at his wife Sarah and say, yeah, that could happen. He didn't have any grounds for hope from a human perspective, did he? But he had every reason to hope, did he not? In hope, against hope. He didn't have any human grounds for hope. But who had made this promise? God had made this promise. So does he have a reason to hope? Absolutely, because God keeps his promises. And that's what the next verse is all about. That's what the next verse is all about in verse 19. It says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness sarah's womb you remember that right abraham was not a young spry guy when god came to him and said i'm going to make you a father of many nations see the stars can you count them abraham remember when he says that to him can you count the stars so shall your descendants be abraham abraham was not a young man he was an old man when god made that promise and god didn't deliver that promise right away right he just kept getting older But he doesn't ignore those facts. What I want you to see here is that Abraham does not say based on the promise of God that he would be the father of many nations. Abraham's reaction is not, yeah, I could I could see that because of me. He doesn't say, oh, God, that makes perfect sense because I'm so strong, so full of life, so fertile. And so is my wife. No, he looks at himself and he sees himself truly in reality. He acknowledges the facts, and he says, I'm as good as dead. Can you imagine saying that about yourself? Look at me, I'm as good as dead. And look at her. How offensive is that, ladies? (laughs) Abraham says to God, look at her. She's as good as dead, too. In fact, as the story plays out, we see that, that physically, humanly speaking, the issue is with her. But he doesn't look at those things and that's the lesson that we need to learn today is that when God makes promises we can't just look at the world from a human perspective and say that can't happen we've got to look and fix our eyes on the one who made the promise the God who raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist and if he makes a promise and says he's going to do something he will do it right And there are huge implications for this all over the place. We deal with all kinds of hopeless situations around us when it comes to life and health and money and relationships. And so often we look at those things and we think from a human perspective, they are hopeless. But I'm telling you, if God's going to do something in those situations, they are far from hopeless. They are as good as guaranteed, right? But maybe more important than that is looking at it from a gospel perspective. They're people. In my life that when I look at. I think their situation is hopeless. That they are so hardened to the gospel. They are so opposed to Jesus Christ. That I think there's no hope at all. Humanly speaking there's no hope of them ever. Repenting of sins and believing in Jesus and being saved. But I can tell you a couple of situations in my life. Where humanly speaking it was hopeless. And God had other ideas. A young boy named. Shamus, in my church in Mississippi, who grew up in the church and knew all the answers to the questions, he could recite the gospel more clearly than most of us could. And over and over again, I would talk to him about, Shamus. do you believe this? Are you giving yourself to Jesus? Are you trusting him? He would say, no, I I know it, but I think it's foolishness. This is crazy talk that someone would trust in a 2,000-year-old man for their salvation. It's craziness that someone would think there's life beyond this world. And I'll be honest with you, in my heart, at a certain point in my relationship with him, I gave up on him. I thought there was no hope for Shamus. But God had other plans for Shamus. And once I had given up, God stepped in and brought hope to that boy's life. God opened his eyes to the wisdom of the gospel and the power of the gospel. God lifted the veil on his heart. And and as Ezekiel said, he removed the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And there was hope for Shamus. And Shamus will be in heaven. He's been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So as I think about people in my life where I would look and say this is hopeless, I've got to remember that, that the God I believe in is the God who raises the dead. And so maybe there is hope for that person. But maybe maybe even more than that, when I think about certain people groups scattered across the planet, when I think about this trip coming up to Central Asia, and I look at that people group and how hostile they are to the gospel message and how hostile they are to Christian people. And I want to say, is there, is there really any hope for them? According to a human perspective, there's not. You take the gospel in there and you get pushed out at best. But then I remember... I can't just look at them. I can't just acknowledge that reality. I've got to look to God who promised, who promised the salvation of men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And he's a God who can raise the dead and he will deliver that promise. And so when we look at those people groups who are without the gospel and opposed to the gospel, we don't look at them with hopelessness. We look at them with hope because our eyes are fixed not just on them, but on God who has made promises. And that's what we've got to learn to do in all of our lives. Not just look at our circumstances that seem hopeless, but look at a God who makes promises, who is able to fulfill them, right? And that's what he says Abraham did. Look at it in the text. Without becoming, verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, as he was 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20 is astonishing. It says, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Did not of you read this and think, "Well, wait a minute. Paul, do you not know about part of Abraham's story? Paul, have you not heard that after God made the promise of a son That Abraham and Sarah got impatient because God didn't quickly fulfill that promise and they took matters into their own hands and they brought in Hagar, Sarah's maid, and Abraham conceived a son with Hagar who was born and who was named Ishmael. That doesn't sound like not wavering in the faith. That doesn't sound like being strong in the faith. That sounds like doubt and struggle. And it was. It was a moment of doubt and struggle. But that moment of doubt and struggle is not what marked Abraham's life. Track with me here because this is going to be good news for some of you. That moment of doubt and struggle where Abraham took his eyes off the Lord, started looking at the flesh, started trying to figure out ways to make things happen on his own. That was real and it happened. But it wasn't the trajectory of Abraham's life. It wasn't what he was known for. So I want you to be encouraged by that today. There's not a character in scripture apart from Jesus Christ who walks without one of those moments. There's not a character in scripture who walks the perfect life of faith and never has a struggle and never has a doubt. The question today is, is your life marked by faith and faithfulness Or is your life marked by doubt? If what Abraham was known for was incidents like happened with Hagar and Ishmael, then we would not say he was justified because he didn't really trust God. But that was a blip on the radar of Abraham's life. And if you're maybe in one of those blips on the radar, press through. Fix your eyes on Jesus again. Listen to the lessons in Sunday school for the last few weeks. Hold fast to Jesus and don't be consumed by the things of this world. But but I I fear there are a lot of people in the church for whom it's just the opposite. The general trajectory of their lives is doubt and lack of trust and lack of faith. But they've had moments, moments of faith, moments of trust, moments of belief. And because of those rare glimpses of faith, They think they're okay. And what I want to say is I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can say everything's going to be okay. Because the trajectory of Abraham's life was faith and faithfulness. He had some hiccups. No doubt about that. But generally speaking, he was a man of faith. What's the trajectory of your life? That's the question today. Is it faith or is it doubt? Read on with me in verse 21. I think verse twenty-one is huge and so encouraging. It says, "And being fully assured that what God had promised, He was able to perform." You believe that, man? I do, because I've seen it. Right? And you've seen it. That what God has promised, He is able to perform, and more than being able to perform, He's willing to perform. And then verse twenty-two is a reminder of the doctrine of justification by faith. This is what. The Subject is in this text, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. So what's faith look like? I'm going to borrow this from Tim Keller, who was fantastic at the end of his commentary on this section of Romans. What does saving faith look like? Number one, saving faith or believing in God is knowing that reality is greater than how we feel or how things appear. Part of what Abraham's faith looked like is he knew there was a greater reality than just what he could see. Or just what he could feel. And we need to hear that because we tend to live our lives based only on what we can see and what we can feel. Sometimes God is working in such mysterious ways that we cannot see it and we cannot feel it, right? Faith, Keller said, is not opposed to reason, but sometimes it is opposed to feelings and appearances. So what does it mean to believe in God? It means to know that reality is greater than how we feel or how things appear. Number two. What does it mean to believe in God? It means to focus on the facts about God. There are certain things we know about God, right? How do we know those things about God? We read them, right? We read certain things about God, what He has done in history. And we can observe them in the creation. We know that God is creative. He is unique. He is powerful because we can see all of these things. So part of what faith looks like, it is, is it is focusing on facts about God. It's not uninformed, it is informed, it is intelligent, it is knowledgeable faith. God doesn't ask us to jump off a cliff. He doesn't doesn't stand there as one we cannot know and say, trust me, trust me. Uh, Asher, Asher's our youngest boy, and if you stood down here today, a perfect stranger and you said, Asher, jump, I'll catch you, trust me, he would do it. He doesn't care who you are. If you're willing to to be involved in this process, he's in. He would jump to you. My older children might say to some of you, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can trust you. Or maybe they might say to some of you, I know I can't trust you. You've pulled this trick on me before. Or I don't think you're strong enough to catch me. God doesn't ask us to jump to him without knowing him. He shows us himself and he says, trust me, trust me. And he's trustworthy, right? What does faith, what does it mean to believe in God? It means to know that reality is greater than how we feel or how things appear, to focus on the facts about God and to trust the bare word of God. If he said it, he will do it. Laura's group in college used to sing a song. It was based on the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, the the chorus of the song went, he never failed me, he never failed me, he never failed me yet. And I always had a little bit of a problem with the yet part. Almost as if he's going to fail me. But the reality of it, and the point was, he's never failed me, he's never failed me, he's never failed me, and he will never fail me. We can trust him. If he has said it, he will do it. If he has said, if he has said he will save by grace through faith, he will save by grace through faith. If he has said Jesus is the only way, then Jesus is the only way. If he has made promises, he will keep them. So what does it look like to believe in God? To know that reality is greater than how we feel or how things appear. To focus on facts about God and trust the bare word of God. So then the next question is, how then do we strengthen our faith? How then do we strengthen our faith? First answer is, we get to know more about God. We get to know more about the object of our faith. We don't try to exercise faith more. We try to know more about the object of our faith. Because remember, what's important is not the sincerity or the strength of our faith. What's important is the object of our faith, right? So we get to know more about God. How do we get to know more about God? Read your Bible is number one. Worship him. Fellowship with his people. Serve him. There are a million ways to get to know more about God. Get to know more about him. How else can we strengthen our faith? We can act on the promises, even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. Even with, when it seems dangerous, we act on his promises. Why? Because he's faithful. He's trustworthy. If you know him, it'll be okay. Last application is this. I want you to know today that our God raises the dead. He does. He's raised me from the dead. And I want you to know today that he can raise you from the dead. I think there are people that come to church a lot and they hear the gospel message a lot. Talk about Jesus dying for sins and rising again. Talk about justification by by grace through faith. They hear this message and they say, Oh, but I'm so dirty. I'm so far gone. And I've lived such a rebellious life. It may work for you, Chris, because you live such a sheltered life. Jesus can save you. But you've not walked the road I've walked. I want to tell you Jesus can raise the dead. And there are not degrees of deadness. You're either dead or you're not, right? And I was just as dead as you are now, and he raised me from from the dead, and he can raise you from the dead. And the other application about our God raising the dead is he can raise your neighbor from the dead. And so you preach that gospel with confidence, with faith in the God who raises the dead, and ask him to show off. I think that's what Jason did when he was praying. Ask God to show off. God, you're the one who raises the dead. Do it. We want to see it. We want to have a front row seat when you bring someone up out of the grave. We got to see that with Kinsley. Got to see that this summer with her. Got to, got to see the picture of it today. You know that's what this is about, right? When we put them under the water and we bring them up out, that's why we don't sprinkle them. We want them to go under the water. One old preacher said, I like to hold them there until they panic a little bit. <laughs> it's a better picture of what's happened in their life. they were desperate and hopeless. We bring them up out of that water as a picture of new life. They've been raised from the dead. That's the picture. He can do that. He can do that with you. He can do that with your neighbor. So you preach the gospel with confidence. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for teaching us about who you are. You are the God who raises the dead, who speaks things into existence that did not exist. You are not a little God. Who is weak and pitiful, you are a big God. Who is powerful, able, willing. And we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you've raised me from the dead. I'm thankful that you've raised some of my children from the dead. And I pray that you would raise men and women and boys and girls this room today from the dead, that you would bring them into life, that you would speak them into existence, not for their sake primarily, although they will certainly benefit from this, not for our sake, that this church would grow, but for your name, that you would show off your power in this place today is what we ask. You would show off your strength, your ability to raise the dead. God, help us as your people to focus on you as the promise giver and the promise keeper. Help us as your people not to be overwhelmed by the human perspective of hopelessness. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to trust your word. Help us to know you more and to act on your promises, even when it seems hard. God, help us now as we respond to you in Christ's name.